Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? This is Michael Sano. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. I have the distinct, distinct, said that incorrectly, distinct honor <laughs> of being here with Faye Goldstein. What's up, Faye Goldstein? How are you? Wonderful. Now, she is a communications manager at an Israeli startup in Herzliya and a brand new resident to Israel. Welcome, welcome, thank welcome. You, thank you. It's funny you say brand new, but I feel like I've been here for so long. I've been here for a year and a half and I feel like I already know the streets. I know the side hummus places and it's... Uh... And we talked about that before and and that is awesome because you have a relationship with Israel. I do. goes back a long time, actually. Quite a long time. Now, before we get into that, well, no, we're going to get into that because where are you from originally? It's always a complicated question. I never know how to really answer it. I was born in New York, then moved to Pennsylvania, then Iowa, then Minnesota, then Boca. Grew up in Miami, moved back to New York, and now I live here. So it's just like, you know, the East Coast and Israel, Okay, <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. Um, what, well, my question was going to be what brought you to Israel, but I think that that would be, that would be too small of a question. <laughs> um, what, where did this relationship with Israel develop? Where did it start? Well, I think, I mean, in, in the honest truth, I grew up religious. So it started off in kind of the religious biblical sense of just the first thing I learned was like about Israel and about the Jewish people and about the heritage and about our history here. And that was um, a huge part. It was a little bit of a different perspective because it wasn't necessarily the Zionism element of Israel. It was a little bit more of the historical um, nationhood element of Israel. So I think that's where it kind of started and where I understood and learned a little bit more about it was growing up with the stories of the Tanakh and the Bible. Oh, wow. Um, and then I came here for a gap year, typical kind of finished high school, came here for a gap year and loved, fell in love like with the actual place, not just the stories of the place, but the actual place itself. Um, and that was in 2009 for the, from 2009 to 2010, I was here for a gap year and wanted to stay but uh, I think we all do when we, we come did, to visit. Right. Um, but, you know, thought about it a little bit more and realized that if I stayed at that point, I wouldn't really have the support I needed. I didn't have money saved up. I didn't really have anything. And I didn't, I kind of didn't want to stay here and be enchanted by it and then be quickly disenchanted by the rough life here in Israel. Um, so I moved back to the States afterwards. After my gap year, I went back and went to university. And um, in universities where I really honed in on my love of Israel in the framework of the political Zionism um, kind of perspective and not just the religious perspective. Okay. Now what I'd like to do is I'd like to step back a little bit to that gap year. Sure. Okay. Cause everyone has their quintessential spirit uh, experience where they say, Oh, and I said this to someone else I was interviewing. I said, Hatikva plays in the background. The, <laughs> the Israeli flag is in your hand as the sun sets. So what was that moment for you? Funny enough, had nothing to do with Hatikva. Had nothing to do with the flag. It had something to do with a small cafe here in Israel, in Tel Aviv, actually, that still exists. It's called Hanasicha Katan. Oh, huh? It's a small cafe that's also a bookstore. Um, and they have random music things, and I used to kind of, I, I didn't really like so much my gap year program. I won't say which one it was. It was, okay. a, it was a religious no. seminary that doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Um, and I used to sneak out and, and go to that cafe and sit there and read books, and at that point also write my college entrance essays. And so much of what I understood and learned and fell in love with about Israeli society. So you're technically on vacation-ish writing your college entrance essays. Well, after having snuck out of my dorm yes. with a laptop I wasn't allowed to have. Going to a college that ideally my seminary probably didn't want me going to. Okay. So yeah, theoretically sorry. vacation, but not really. It's just, it's uh, picturing it all. It's great. Continue, please. Right. I'm sorry. No, so I mean, I think it goes, it really does boil down to... That small cafe that still exists now, actually, on King George. It's a great cafe. You should check it out. They have really good food and really beautiful books. And just kind of sitting there and seeing the Israeli society, seeing the Tel Aviv society, seeing mm -hmm. people come in and the diversity of people. And then you had, like, the hipsters and the academics and then the couples and then the individual people. And they, have, they had random um, poetry readings and random nights that they'd have music. And it was just really a place that made me recognize Israel as, in the framework of reality, not necessarily just the stories, not just the history, not just all of the 
kind of big narratives you tell of Israel, but mm-hmm. like this is a real place with real people and a place that like I can fall in love with outside of the boundaries of let's say religion, but within the framework of uh, identity and things I love to do anyway. Okay, so you have this the, these grand notions, internal grand notions, not the grand notions, the the Herzl-esque notions, <laughs> but the uh, the internal grand notions. You've been moved by the land, by the state, by however you want to define it. Now you get on the plane and you go back home. What is the stop like? So, you know, that first trip back home wasn't the hard one. I think the trips, the subsequent trips mm-hmm. that I came to Israel, they those got harder and harder. And I think that's what I realized was that first trip home was like, great, I'm seeing my family after a year of not seeing them. Um, I was excited. I had gone to, into university. I was excited kind of mm-hmm. to do that. Um, and I hadn't yet experienced in, in that gap year, I had gone from my religious connection to Israel to a little bit more of my personal connection to the cafes and the scene here. Um, I hadn't yet fully grasped, I think the, that element of political Zionism, which I slowly came to over the years throughout university. And so my first trip back home was honestly, it was all right. It was, okay. it was, I was, I was ready to get to see my mom. I was ready to see my siblings. I was ready, you know, I was ready to kind of, kind of go home. And I think what I realized over the years, and I'm skipping ahead a little bit was because the subsequent trips when I went to Israel and then flew back home, every time I flew back home after that got harder and harder and harder, I realized that it would only lead up, you know, it would only lead that, that as years go by, I'd want to be here even more and more and more and more. Um, I think had the first trip been really like really, really hard to go home, and I went home and I was all right with it, it probably wouldn't have given me the desire to necessarily go back because I was like, okay, I got over this really hard thing of going home and I'm fine here in the States. But, you know, the trips, as 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 the difficulty to, to leave Israel continued to grow, it kind of was a little bit more of a sign. So it, it the impact grew over time. Yeah. Awesome. Sure. Um, now you get into going back to those college entrance exams you went to uh where did you go to school florida international university and what did you study so i studied international affairs um, with a focus in the middle middle eastern studies um, and then minored in political science as well as art and digital media now take that and all of that that's crammed into that box and um the impressions of Israel, the ideas about Israel on campus. And I'm not trying to get too political. Trust me, I'm really not. Um, how did that conflict with your experience um, in that gap year and all of that? So it's interesting because I actually had forgotten to mention this, but one of the classes I did like in my gap year program, the gap year program itself was a religious seminary, but I had gotten a scholarship from Massa to be able to go. And because they gave the scholarships from Massa. They, Congratulations, thank by you. <laughs> they, um, they had a, one class there on Israel, on Israeli history, on, on Israel, and that was actually taught by a, a gentleman named Zev Ben Shachar, who um, was one of the most, he was the first kind of educator that really inspired me in that space um, about Israel and about almost prepared me what I'd be going back to campus. Um, there was this, I remember so distinctly, there was this like, one of his slides had showed this picture of something that you didn't know what it was. And he was like, what is this? And everyone was guessing, trying to figure out what it was. And then it, I remember it zoomed out to playing the song Eye of the Tiger. And it turns out it was a tiger. And that was his like metaphor for saying, you'll be, able, you'll be experiencing discussions or conversations about Israel that only focus. They're so zoomed in, they don't see the big picture about things. And wow. that kind of brought me into that recognition that I whatever I would be facing on campus which I didn't know I didn't necessarily know what I was getting myself into but kind of understood from the perspective is recognize and try to build that framework of zooming out of things and be able to kind of bring people away and see the broader picture of of the tiger or whatever it is um so it you know I think it wasn't when you first get to college you don't necessarily jump straight into heaviness you don't jump straight into like Depending on where you go, you know it, it does. <laughs> right, that's true. Right, that's that's true. So if you if you if you do go to a very volatile campus, then you're kind of thrown straight into it. Um, I wasn't. You know, it was a my university was a predominantly Hispanic school. It was an international school, so there were a lot of focus on international affairs, but not necessarily um, was it so politically active. Um, over the years that I was there, it did get 
um, a little bit more uh, intense, I guess we can say. But uh, starting off, it, it wasn't. And I was just studying things I loved, which at that point was a little bit more theory of international affairs and the way the world kind of works. And Okay, yeah. well, all right. So then I have a question. If that was the environment, what caused the need for Israel advocacy on your part? It started off a little bit of more even Jewish community. Oh, um, all right. You know, it was a little bit more of me wanting to get involved. I was, I was, you know, the the Israel club there was called at that point Shalom Fayu had kind of patterned, like kind of hadn't, wasn't really so strong, I guess we can say. And um, I wanted to get involved with that mostly because there also wasn't a Hillel when I had started in, really? in my university. Yeah, that was something that I was really proud happened by the time I, we, we le- I left, there was a, really great Hillel and great Hillel wow. director. So when I had started, there wasn't necessarily that. It was a great Chabad on campus and really incredible people. Mm-hmm. Um, closely Worked closely with them, but it was a little bit more for um, kind of wanting to find that community and that space of Jewish students in my in my university. I was a commuter, so I had gone, I didn't live on campus, I lived at home and I would go back and forth. So building that community in that in that space when I wasn't in the dorms, when I wasn't necessarily, I, would, I didn't, I wasn't in the sorority or fraternity life. And mm-hmm. so building it through that space, it really was just kind of started in a sense of community where is where it started. And then once you go into the space and you realize the impact and you realize I'm, I'm able to you know, at that point it was teaching. It wasn't so much fighting. It wasn't so much, it was more inspiring and, and educating. And I think that was because I came into that space, that was my approach always mm-hmm. to Israel advocacy is inspire people to, to, to love it. Those were the things I loved about Israel when I came here. You know, I, I didn't, I didn't fall in love with this place because I wanted to be a valiant fighter for it. I fell in love because it was a cafe I liked and music I liked and people I loved watching, you know, and it was like, I was inspired by this place, by the, almost the normalcy mixed. It's like the ancient and the and new all mixed together. And if, if that can inspire me as an average person, those are things that typically people get inspired by. They get inspired by, you know, seeing complexities. They get inspired by their days. They get inspired by music. They get inspired by photos. They can, and if you, for me at least, it was if you bring Israel in that space of inspiration and in the space that people already, things that people already love and connect Israel to things they already are passionate about, that's kind of how I got started. You know, I was trying to share my experience. Um, and, you know, it started gaining traction and people started liking it. And, and it was, you know, it did lead to bigger and broader conversations about Israel on campus. Once you start the conversation about Israel, you have to be prepared to continue the conversation (laughs) about Israel. Um, and because I started the conversation, I wanted to be able to educate myself to continue the conversation. That's what led me to Hasbro fellowships, which well, all right, you good segue. Wow, <laughs> you should you. get a job doing this. Um, that would be, of course, my next question. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you stepped into that, what you did for them, what they do, what their mission is, all of that? Sure. So, I, um, one of my friends on campus actually had done the program and she was a little kind of a liaison for them, okay, um, for Hosper Fellowships. And they basically, they, their main mission is to, you know, educate and to empower mostly university students to have conversations and to, um, and to do Israel-related programming on campus. That could okay. be within the framework of defending. That could be within the framework of inspiring. That could mm-hmm. be within the framework of, you know, programming, building relationships with other university groups. There's a whole bunch of different ways to obviously be able to connect your university to Israel. And that was the idea is to empower students to be able to do that. And in order to empower people, you know, they want to be able to feel that confident in the things that they're speaking mm-hmm. about. So that was really a lot of what Hasbro Fellowships gave me. And I know that we were able to then give students afterwards um, was the ability to feel confident having those conversations, you know, feeling, OK, like I know these things. And if there's a tough question thrown at me, I could be able to understand it, break it down and have those have the answer. Not necessarily like it's not all black and white, obviously, but have something to respond or have something more to engage with in that conversation. Um and so I knew that I was having those conversations already. You know, I, I'm confident by nature, but I didn't necessarily know how to answer those questions so much because, again, my connection to Israel was the cafe connection <laughs> yeah. and the, you know, Jewish history connection to it. So I wanted, I realized I needed more because so much of the conversation and the context within university campuses, they didn't care about necessarily biblical connection. They didn't care that we had so many cafes. They jumped directly to the politics, um, which is traditionally 
in my head, so not a human thing to do. You it's meet, weird, right? It's know, not just me. It's like you meet someone and you don't ask them who they vote for the first thing. You know, you're more likely to ask them what kind of music they like than their political opinions. And and for some reason with Israel, they just don't, no one cares about that. You know, they, they jump straight to the heaviness. Um, so I wanted to be prepared for that. And Hasbro Fellowships was a program that I had a few friends that had done it. And they said, do it. And then I did. All right. Well, I noted, just to go back to the word confidence. So when I was in school at City College, you were uh, running it pretty much. Um, And all of your social media had you in front of a groups of (laughs) large groups of people. So confidence. Can you describe to me... um, how did you prepare for that? I mean, you're going from, if I'm correct, you're going from college to standing in front of audiences, correct? Yes. Well, I mean, there was there was a segue. You know, there was, you know, my first speech I ever gave was my bat mitzvah speech. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I started the preparation there. Um, and, you know, I did. I studied. I studied international affairs. I studied political science. I read as much as I could about Israel. I was constantly going to Israel trying to learn more throughout programs there. So over time, you kind of have this arsenal of information Mm -hmm. that you collect. And whether it's, you know, notes on my phone and like my notepad of like inspiring quotes that I could use in future conversations or facts that I should keep in mind that I I found fascinating that that other people, you know, might want. Yeah, I've got this thing. (laughs) It's called good quotes slash stories. And it's just like... on my, you know, on my phone, I just have to open up the notepad and I've got a whole bunch of things. It's like <laughs> some of them are very random. It's like things I've heard in speeches versus things I've heard on like a TED talk and things I've heard, you know, sitting and reading a book. It's just anything that I kind of was like, wow, that's a really good conversation starter or a good kind of thing to inspire other people. I, I, I like trying to save them and have them and the phone's always with me. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's, um, it's a fine <laughs> thing. But planning basically But is yeah, I mean... I, I think it's funny. I also think it, it, it is a personality trait. I think that if you're, you know, parents raise you to be proud of who you are and, and, and proud of the things that you're doing, which thank God I did, I was raised that way, um, then you have the ability to share that with people. So and, this makes a little bit of more sense then in, in, in a discussion we had earlier where you had said, I don't feel like a new Ole. Did I say that correctly? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, so you've made trips with your or uh, the organization you worked for you made trips on your own you made trips on the gap year so please yeah I mean I was I was here all the time it's funny because now when I a lot of my friends are Israeli and I I picked up Hebrew relatively quickly and honestly my accent is better than the words I can say so I just sound really great when I speak <laughs> Hebrew I don't necessarily know Oh, you know, I've, my vocabulary is obviously still limited. Mine's good because uh, my accent is good because of Israeli pop music. Um, <laughs> and you just copy what Leonardo Keys is saying. You know, it's funny because someone asked me like, wow, how did you, it was actually an American that asked me, how did you work on your accent? And I said, well, I like singing, you know, <laughs> so if you can figure out a tune, then you can understand that, you know, accents and intonations and words are basically the tunes of languages. And I think that in that same framework, like you can learn an accent. And I feel like that's probably what the actors do when you have all these American actors playing British, you know, I guess teenagers or vice versa. They're, they're learning it somehow. That's so Um, great. So they're just kind of learning, you know, the flow and the, where to, you know, where, where the sounds need to come from, from their mouth. Um, But yeah, so no, I don't, because I was here so often, Mm -hmm. um, I really, I, I, don't feel like an anuole in my everyday life. But there's some things I do. Like, for example, in my new job, I just had to sit with someone um, and go over all the bureaucratic steps of, like, my pension and Kerenish Talmud, which is, like, this uh, education fund, savings type mm-hmm. of fund. And sitting there, I was quite overwhelmed. I was like, wow, I don't, I have no idea what these things are. <laughs> and thank goodness someone in my work, uh, a woman that had you know, very heavily invested in understanding it all sat with me actually and, and helped me with it, which was great. And it was a few, sometimes those moments you're like, okay, I, I am new here. Um, <laughs> but other times when you come and you just, I, I, it felt right. Like when I had told people that I was moving to Israel, it wasn't like, oh my God, wow. It was like, yeah, about time, Faye. You know, like that makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> Glad you're finally doing it. Um, and I think within that framework, it's allowed me to kind of branch out from the Ola bubble. Like I don't really spend time here within the Ola Chatesha community. Most of my friends are Israelis. I, you know, my, I had, I've made that a very dedicated kind of effort of mine to not stay within that space. 
speaking of a dedicated effort, um, you made a choice that not uh, everyone makes. You decided to join the army. Yeah, I did. That was, I I don't know if it it was, it was a decision, but it was really mostly like, I'm, I, I really had to try hard for it. I really had to convince the right people. And it was a, it happened to be actually where we had met at that Nefesh Benefesh, met in person for the first time, that Nefesh Benefesh event, there was someone there from the, can I frame that for a sec? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) I am ending the day. I had been working at the Ben Gurion university table and I had seen you and we had interacted through email, but we had never, ever, ever met. And I'm walking out and I look over to my left and you are sitting on the stairs, on the stairs, not in a chair, on these stairs with this look of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was, I was, you know, I was- The end of a long day. I had just decided to, to really, that was my, my, my official, kind of halfway point of deciding to make Aliyah and getting all the stuff prepared, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was there as a, not as Hasbro Fellowships, not as like an interested Israel advocate from New York City. I was there as someone using Nefesh Benefesh's services, you know, there to learn, to try to get as much information as possible about my upcoming future. Um, so yeah, I was exhausted. I was a little, I was sitting there. I just had all these pamphlets and all these papers and all these things. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm, you know, I'm doing this. And it was, it was, it was also like a kind of a sitting there on the stairs being like, I've got this <laughs> kind of moment as well. Well, you uh, didn't look yeah. scared yeah. You, you, at all. Yeah. You, you look like you, but you just look like you at the end of the day. Deflated. So again, you made this decision to go into the army. Can you tell us what you did in the army and did you get to choose that or did that get thrust upon you? So interestingly enough, I basically, uh, going back to that Nefesh Benefesh meeting, mm-hmm. so at that, at that event, um, there was someone I had met there. Uh, his name was Avi Matzliach. Uh, sorry, um, Avi, I'm forgetting his name, Avi. It's okay. Yeah. We're in a bubble. <laughs> We're in a bubble, guys. So, um, Avi, and uh, he had said, like, if I ever, you know, he was doing um, so, like, things related to the IDF, I didn't exactly know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hadn't at that point, you know, I was at that point 27, and I wasn't, you know, necessarily understanding, knowing that people had said, okay, you can't draft to the Army until after, after 24, um, women usually the cutoff is 24 and I was like so Bob that's something I really want to do but I, I didn't really know the first steps anyway I had spoken to him long story short we had met in Israel afterwards um, I'd come to the Nefesh Benefesh offices to do a few things I was there that summer before I made Aliyah I had led two Hasbara trips that summer so I was in Israel it was great because I was able to prepare have all these meetings and get all the kind of my my eggs my ducks in a row um, and I met with, uh, met with him, Avi, and he had asked me actually for help with, um, a pitch that he was doing for a startup he had had. He had stopped his work with, um, or his traditional work with Nevis Nevis, and he had asked for p- a help with a startup he had, was pitching to investors for a presentation, so I helped him out with a presentation. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I asked him in another meeting if he had any way of, like, assisting me in my desire to draft into the army. He said, actually, one of my really good friends is this guy, Yossi Matzliach, who is the head of Metav, which is the drafting unit in the oh, IDF. Oh, wow. Like, and he was the head, head, head guy. He wasn't like, he was the one in charge of the entire unit. And so I said, oh, my God, that would be amazing if you can connect me to him or his assistant or the soldier helping him. Anyways, turns out I was flying back to Israel that next day. And Yossi Matzliach was in Israel for, it was in New York. Sorry, I was flying back to New York from Israel. Mm-hmm. And Yossi Matzliach was in New York at the consulate for meetings. He was there to people, Israelis that don't want to go join the army have to go and get a, a waiver, a waiver basically, um, to not join the army. And so he was in New York doing, dealing with those things. I happened to be flying back that next day. So there was a one day kind overlap, of overlap yeah. between me getting back to New York and him leaving New York. But I was able to secure a meeting with him. Wow. And I remember going in there and... You know, him and the other two people that were in that room kind of being like, wait, you're not here to try to get a waiver out of the army. You want to join the (laughs) army? And then we got into the conversation of like, listen, he's like, listen, we don't accept people your age. It's just not going to happen. And I said, (laughs) I remember this so clearly. (laughs) I said, honestly, the army and you, you know, the bureaucratic rules you have are stupid. And he said, I I wouldn't use the word stupid. Stupid. That's probably not a very good thing that will, you know, help you in my eyes. And I said, honestly, I guess I could use any other words, but it's, you're not being smart about it. I said, I'm here. I'm an intelligent, well-educated person, and I would be an asset to you. Um, I said, listen, I'm, 
very dedicated to this and I, I and I am committing to you right now in person verbally that if you find a way to give me he said listen I can't do it I said you're the only one that could do it you're the only person in the army that can give me the shul like the permission mm-hmm. to you know jump over that initiation kind of draft process that takes forever which I said you're the only one that could do it um and I said I'm giving you my word that if you do figure out a way to give me that permission to draft in the army at this old age (laughs) then you won't regret it um and I left the room and I left and he said I'll think about it and then I remember a month later I waited I didn't tell anybody about this anyone actually no Um, I was I was shocked when I saw it yeah I didn't tell anyone about the entire process other than my my mother and like a few of my very 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 close friends um a month later I got an email from him with a kind of a like a photo of a signed letter saying, and I I should have brought it with me, um, a signed letter saying, you know, I, Yossi Masliach, met with Faye Goldstein, um, and I give her permission when she does decide to make Aliyah, she can draft into the Israeli army. Um, And I I remember I was like, I was was so happy. I was so, I was just like, you know, that was the first step. It wasn't the entire step, and I can, you know, speak a lot lot longer about that, the rest of the process, Mm but um, I, I, I wanted it so badly. I ended up going, I was like, okay. So I emailed back saying, I'd like the letter in per like the actual person, <laughs> the actual letter. Um, I don't just want a photo of it. It's actually really good. I did it. Cause a while later I actually needed that handwritten oh, letter. Yeah. Um, so they had, they, I went to the, back to the consulate, got the letter, um, and had it in my hand when I made Aliyah and all of the process kind of started. And I had to write an essay in Hebrew to another office, another space to be able to start do the draft process. I, I don't know. It was just, it was a really intense kind of, you really have to want it when you're you know, 27 yes. years old drafting into the IDF. You really have to want it because there's a lot of stumbling blocks that they, they put ahead of you, which I think is good. I think they should do a little bit more of that, I think, for younger people as well. I think there's a little bit of an issue with it being so easy for some young 18-year-old Olim, mm-hmm. uh, Olim to be able to just draft into the army without... without out you know they think because the process is relatively easy for them once mm-hmm. they get there and they're like oh my god this is really hard you know for me it was hard the whole way so once I got there I was like great okay I'm ready for this to be hard um but yeah I remember going to the bakum which is like the drafting base and they're like yeah you can't draft you're old and I took out my letter and I was like actually look who's this this is your commander's 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 commander <laughs> and uh so, he yeah. said yes and he said yes he said it's okay and funny enough, you asked if I got to where I wanted to go. Um, so Hasbro Fellowships, when I was working there, mm-hmm. we had brought someone um, named Karen Hadjioff, who was the in the IDF spokesperson's unit to speak to our delegations, you know, right. to inspire them. She was an incredible speaker. Um, so I knew her. I'd also known people that had founded the new new media unit in the IDF spokesperson's, ten, ten, spokesperson's unit 10 years prior to that. Um, I had quite a few friends that were in the unit mm-hmm. and in Israel, it's, uh, it's both good and bad. Um, but you need to have connections to get <laughs> places. And so I had the connections and, um, Karen, who we had brought to speak to our delegations, I had gotten a little bit close with her. And so she was pulling me in from that side and there was other people pulling me in from the outside. And I ended up being able to set up the right meetings and you don't know a hundred percent until the day of your draft. You don't really know where you're going. At least I didn't. Um, until I got the official confirmation, and it's funny, actually. If you want to <laughs> add more stories, and I'm talking a lot, but I guess please no. This is so good. This is talking. wonderful. But I had gotten my one one specific draft date, um, but they had wanted me to go to what's called Michvelon, which is kind of two months or so, um, even longer maybe, of Hebrew tr- Hebrew training. I had gone, oh the I had, okay basically yeah Ulpan kind of. Um, I'd gone a six on my Hebrew test and I needed a seven in order to not do Michvelon. But I really didn't want to do Michvelon. I was already, I kind of knew what it would be like. I knew that I would, I would just, you know, I was so much older than that. I didn't want to deal with so many, uh, like, new olim. I really wanted to be able to go directly into my, to serving. I didn't want to sit and do that. Um, You felt capable enough to step in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew Hebrew well enough. I just... I also knew that hopefully the job that I'd get, I would be, my day would predominantly be in English, um, which ended up actually being the case. Um, And I really didn't want to go, but they said, listen, there's nothing we can do. Um, You're going to go. So I was fine. Great. I dealt, I was like, okay, I'll deal with this. Everything will be fine. And I decided 
you know, two weeks before that, before I was supposed to draft, I was like, I'm going to go to Europe for a little bit. I'm going to go. And I had never done any of the Holocaust or Poland trips or any of the, mm-hmm. you know, kind of going through the, I hadn't been really been to Europe before. So I did my own little two, it was a week and a half trip through Prague, um, Germany and Berlin. Um, and then I went to Latvia and, um, I was in Berlin when I get a call from my best friend, I had given her number. I didn't have, I don't have family here. So I'd given my best friend's number to the mm-hmm. army in case they needed to reach me. She WhatsApps me saying, Faye, the army's trying to reach you. You're not answering your phone. Cause I wasn't in town. Yeah, I wasn't in Israel. <laughs> my phone was disconnected. Um, so they called me, but they won't tell me why. Um, they would just want to know when you're going to be back. So I said, well, actually my flight's tomorrow. I land at 6am. She's like, okay, I'll let them know. 9am. I get a call from Metav, this unit, mm-hmm. the drafting unit. And they say, hi, Faye. So connections were pulled. Strings were pulled. Um, you're not going to go to Michvelon. You don't have to go to this Ulpan for two That's months. But if you want to draft to Dovertzal, to the spokesperson's unit, you have to show up tomorrow to what's called the Bakum and to your base. And you have to go tomorrow morning um, because you're already two days late for Tironut, for the basic training. And if you're 72 hours late, then it's already too late. And the next Maslu, like the next... Um, I guess rotation. rotation of this Dovetzal has a two month intense communications training um, and, and kind of knowing everything about the IDF as a, as a spokesperson, mm-hmm. you have to know basically every single thing about the IDF. Um, so there's intense two months training about that. Wow. And if you can't make it tomorrow, then you have to wait six months. Oi. So I was like, all right, <laughs> and that's it. I'm, I'm all right, great. I'll see you tomorrow. And I call my friends and I was like, okay, so I'm drafting tomorrow. What do I need to bring? And they're like, fake. <laughs> Darling, we did the army 12 years ago. <laughs> we have no idea what you really need. We assume the same things. I guess socks, white, you know, t-shirts, toothbrush, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, white and green t-shirts, gray socks, and, um, you know, bedding. And so, yeah, I landed. I dumped my stuff in my house. I went to the soup, the mall, basically. It's H&O is a store mm-hmm. that, like, has all the army kind of colors that you need. Bought myself a bunch of socks and t-shirts, and the next day was <laughs> whiplash um, at the at, at my base, at my new base, um, the training base that I was in for two months. So you were there yeah. for two months, and then you were how long with the spokesperson's unit? A year. Yeah, so I um, I had started, and typically you sign a year and a half mm-hmm. um, minimum, or a year, and I, I kind of knew that I wanted to sign... I, I knew that I would be able to make an impact as much as an impact as I can in the time that I gave myself to make it. I think like in my head, I said, if I'm signing a year, I will do whatever I could do as much as possible in that year. Um, so I signed a year and I was there for, for a year and I just, I just finished. And it's funny cause I, I had signed when I was, when I was ending, they didn't really want me. They wanted me to sign more time. They wanted me to, you know, join and, and either do officers training or come back. And I, for me, I needed, you know, I'm, I'm a little, I'm now 29 years old and I was living in Tel Aviv. I needed to make a little bit of money. I, it sounds Just sad. a little. Just a little. Um, and I, I said, listen, I commit and will always be here for you when you need me, Louim, reserves. Okay. Um, and funny enough, like three weeks after I had finished my uh, service, I actually, they called me in for me, Louim, and I was able to, it was actually a month. Um, so I was, I went in uh, two weeks ago to train new soldiers, actually, um, as my first set of uh, Miluim duty. Wow. My first set of reserves. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I'm excited. I think it's funny. People ask me, oh, wow, you did a year. I said, yeah, I did a year in order for my rest of my life to do reserve duty um, in Dovertal and to be there during wartime or times that they really need, uh, need people there. So I'm really, I think like my one year service was in order so I can serve for the rest of That's my life. That's excellent. In now, a way. What exactly were your responsibilities in that year? What did you do in that year? Spokesperson, of course, is self-explanatory, but there's so much that that unit does on so many different levels. So I was specifically in the international department. Now, the international department is divided into three main kind of divisions. Mm -hmm. One is the division that deals with visiting delegations. So if you're coming on an APAC delegation or you're coming with CUFI or whatever these other organizations are, you'd reach out to this department and they would help you set up and they'll set up all your kind of meetings and your trips through all of these different, um, all the different bases. Mm -hmm. Then there's the unit that deals specifically with press. Um, the ones that are in touch with the Reuters and BBCs and all of the different media and the journalists. Mm -hmm. And then there's a department that I was in, which was the new media department, which, um, is now digital media because no longer new. It's, you know, 10 years old. It's been around a while. Um, 
And that, we were the ones, basically, the mouthpiece to the modern world um, wow. for Israel, which was running the social media channels and the IDF website and, you know, Twitter with a million followers, 1.1 million followers, um, you know, our Facebooks in um, English, French, and Spanish. And they actually, after I'd left, they had opened, they just opened up a Russian channel. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, how did working in um, Hasbara Fellowships, how did your degree um, in Florida, uh, how did all of that prepare you for everything that culminated in boom, the spokesperson's unit? Massively. Massively. Really? Yeah. I mean, Hasbro Fellowship is all about effective communication. It was all about learning how to tell your story, tell the narrative, you know, from your perspective and inspire others to connect with it. And that was exactly what I was doing in the IDF spokesperson's unit. You know, instead of it being broad about Israel, it was about the IDF and the stories of our soldiers and the story of the struggles and the story of what we're, what we're doing as the protector of the Jewish people. Um, and it was my experience through all of my Hasbara and, and, and advocacy on campus was a huge part of why I think um, I was able to make the impact that, that I feel I made, um, in the unit and international affairs training. I mean, I think it just, that was, that was just what fascinated me about global politics mm -hmm. in general. You know, when they're talking about Iran, you understand kind of what, what is the, you know, drama, I guess, around <laughs> Iran. I, you know, what is the relationship between Syria and Russia? And a lot of those things matter when it comes to the IDF. And because of my, you know, knowledge and already it was fascination within, international affairs it I connected to that really well um I was always you know I was I was always interested I remember in 10th grade we had learned it was like the year in our history in our English history um kind of division that we were learning about the history of the Middle East and the started from like the Barbary pirates and the Barbary wars and you know I remember reading um, wow you well, really pulled that one out of the out of the chest right didn't you way back uh, yeah. the Barbary pirates yeah 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 <laughs> I just remember it was like Mr. Carpell when he that was that was that was his name of, our, of the teacher there and he uh yeah had introduced us to power faith and fantasy it was a book I'm pretty sure it was Bernard Lewis if I'm not mistaken um of my first introduction to Middle Eastern politics actually wow. it was 10th grade um, and you know it didn't connect to me on a personal level mm -hmm. at that point yet but it had started that was the kind of the little the first tap of it but that's the major arc that brought you all the way to the spokesperson's unit yeah wow yeah, it's crazy and and yeah it's interesting it's 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 kind of a little bit of a weird experience now not being in that anymore it was a very huge decision and a really hard decision actually mm -hmm. for me to leave that space but you are in the reserves and should yeah. the need come You'll be there. I'm still in the WhatsApp groups. I still um, definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I still uh, <laughs> assist with things here every now and then. Now, when you left, uh-oh, you've got to step into civilian life, yeah. for one, and you have to step into the job market probably for the first time here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was a very difficult um Transition. transition thank you yeah That's really okay. it was a really difficult transition actually and it was made easier by someone I had met actually while he was doing reserves in my unit um his name is Eitan Buchmann and he had done that exact kind of a similar thing as I had done that he was in the idea of spokespersons unit mm -hmm. and left and shifted to tech and he has now become kind of a little bit of a mentor to me in a way I kind of call him when I when I, I need advice on things and he had helped me do my first revision of my of my resume and my cv you know it's very interesting <laughs> going from like all of your history being involved in politics and nonprofit affairs and international affairs and israel and advocacy <laughs> and trying to get a job in a tech company um and trying to shift entire careers in that space and and he really helped me um being able to do that. and through that through that kind of transition of the job the searching for jobs and mm -hmm. meeting really incredible people um i went to a few meetups and and i i kind of one of the best experiences I got out of that was really the willingness of Israelis, and specifically, actually, this is where I do connect with the Ole community, of the willingness of Olim who have been here for many years and have made it successfully, 
to assist and to give advice and to mentor others. So, you know, in my case, it was Eitan Buchmann, who is now the CMO of a large Israeli, um, now international company, as well as this woman named Nadia Hitman, who's all the, the chief marketing officer in Joytunes, which is a really incredible uh, Israeli startup, as well as, you know, um, Jordana, who is running head of policy at Facebook, and they were all willing to take time to sit and speak with me and give me advice and say, okay, you know, here's how we did it. Here are the things we wish we would have known. Here's, you know, and if you ever need us for anything else, here's my number. Here's our number, and we'll, we'll always make time for you. And I think that was one of the greatest things that I did get out of that, you know, tough job search. That's um, beautiful. Was no. being able to meet those people. That's awesome. So, um... What do you do now? So, <laughs> two weeks in, actually. Um, Congratulations thank again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm the communications manager of a cybersecurity startup, um, specifically within the smart mobility sector. Um, their main focus is basically, I guess I can give you our, <laughs> the, the pitch real quick. Um, but it's, Is that okay? Do yeah. You, it, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, <laughs> I think so. Um is they're called upstream security and they, mm -hmm. you know, the, the world right now is shifting to connected cars. Everything's digital, right? Our, everything is going to the cloud. There's everything that we do is basically recorded somewhere and cars, whether that's Tesla or whether that's even your typical, you know, regular type of, uh, Volvo, Mitsubishi, Renault, whatever these cars are. I am they're all, so they're glad becoming, you said Volvo first. I have a Volvo. Go on. <laughs> you know, they're all, they're being coming connected. And by 20, I think it's, by 2020, there'll be, you know, millions, millions of cars. The new cars that are coming out will all be connected cars. They'll all be, you know, connected to some sort of server. And that kind of gives, that makes them vulnerable to, to cyber attacks. I don't know if you've, if you've seen Fast and Furious, I think it's Fast and Furious 8. Yes. Okay. So you know yes. that scene where they're sitting there and she, she goes and she goes like, you know, hack them all, take them all. And then you see this crazy, insane scene of all of these cars being hacked by this one guy. I've read a few articles after that and they said it's not really possible for one guy to be able to hack them all. Um, but, you know, they basically are able to tap into all these cars. Why you have to kill Fast cars. and Furious? Don't kill Fast and <laughs> No, go on, please. But, you know, they, they hack into all these cars and, and control them. And it's, you know not necessarily on that level yet, but mm -hmm. the, the, the vulnerability that, that lies within our connected world. And I think, you know, whether that be physical vulnerabilities or just even, you know, getting into philosophy, just the vulnerabilities of always constantly being connected leaves you open to out, a lot of outside influence and a lot of outside attacks. So the, my, you know, this company focuses on securing those cars and ensuring and through the cloud and there's a whole bunch of other details that I won't necessarily okay. <laughs> bore you That's with. That's okay. Um, and my role there is to similar. And I think this is, this is something I had when I, in my first interview, they're like, well, you know, you haven't ever been in tech. How could you, you know, how do you think that transition will be? And I said, listen, you know, to be honest, if I can sell an idea that everyone hated Israel, I could probably <laughs> help you sell a product that will change people's lives. So, you know, in the end of the day, my communication skills, my Hasbro skills, my advocacy skills, my spokesperson skills ended up leading me to where I am today and being able to kind of translate those communication um, abilities to a different framework. And I think, A, that's something for people to remember is that if you have a skill, tap in on it and it can bring you to wherever you are and try to find that skill because you can shift that into different arenas um, quite effectively. Well, it's funny you said sales because... Um I have been in conversations over the past couple of years with people about sales. People say sales is dead. Sales is dead. No, no, no. The communication and the important communication skills that are involved in selling are always needed. And communication, I, not to sound too car salesman -y, but mm -hmm. communication is sales. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it goes and you, you hear these all in these you know, TED Talks, or if you listen to the Pixar, anima Pixar animators, I think it's a lot about storytelling as well. Mm -hmm. You know, that's kind of the idea is how can you take this? And and I, for me, it's about, you know, speak. I'm not calling you a car salesman, please. <laughs> right. No, no, no. And I, you know, and, and I'm not within my, my role is to assist the salespeople, um, you know, help them try to figure out the story that they're going to be telling about our product. Um, and I think because I was able to tell the story of Israel, Mm -hmm. That has allowed me to kind of shift and, and learn a little bit. And again, I'm, I'm still pretty new. I'm two weeks into it. Um, but it's been exciting to be able to try to translate those things um, and to be able to, 
you know, realize that, okay, I could do this. It's, it's a crazy new world. I know nothing about cyber. I know nothing about the automotive industry. And I'm t- like all these words I'm learning now. And it's, it's fascinating for me. It's the first time I've learned something new since I started university, actually. That's phenomenal. That is so yeah. great. Um, I want to finish up with this. And I thought of this while we were talking. So the young Faye, who's sitting in a cafe, and the Faye, who is now a communications manager. Did I get it right? (laughs) Um, The ARC. Can you talk about that for just one sec? Is that the same person? Is that a different person? Why? I'm sure maybe it is, but in many ways it's not. So it's interesting, you know, because had you asked me about a year and a half ago, well, a little bit more, two years ago, what I had wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, once I moved to Israel, once I finished the army, um, I had wanted to do the route of the, dip- the diplomatic route, you know, mm-hmm. go join the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and, and kind of go through the political world here. Um, coming to Israel, realizing, speaking to enough people and realizing that, you know, you really needed I would have really needed a lot more connections in that space than I would have. I mean, Hebrew would have been needed to have been a lot better than it did. I've kind of, you know, still have that eventual goal to be a, I would say, large scale influencer within the space of, of Israeli policy and politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of wanting to do it from a different route, um, do it from the business route, do it from a business leader, a business influencer route. Um, and, had you asked me there in Tel Aviv in that cafe, no, I would have had no, no idea um, that this is where I'd be. I mean, my life has changed so drastically since then. I was a religious seminary girl, you know. It's like a, quite a different, quite a different space. Um, and you know, I was actually just speaking about this the other night with somebody. Is like sometimes you look back and you're like sometimes finding those decisions is like kind of trigger points of like, wow, had I not done that, it wouldn't have led me to that, which wouldn't have led me to that. And kind of just taking a moment and say like, it's, it's really, it's really kind of inspiring for yourself to realize that you, at least for me, thank, thank God, you know, I've had, I've, I've made good decisions. I've made good decisions to, to lead me to where I am right now. And I've had people that have assisted me make those decisions, you know, uh, help me do the pros and cons list, help me, you know, not be worried about making big radical decisions, mm-hmm. empowering me, whether that be friends, whether that be family, mentors. And I think, you know, I, th- I think in the end of the day, I, I, the arc is, is not so much of an arc. It's more like a, a wave, you know, I think it's like really, and I don't think it's a circle because I haven't come for a full circle. <laughs> um, hopefully n- things won't come full circle until 120, you know, and, and things will, <laughs> will come back to where they started, but I, you know, I, it, the it's frail Faye just <laughs> traveling across the beach and tell never, <laughs> I will always be strong. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's, 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 it, it's kind of exciting. It's kind of, t- it's, it's interesting. I don't know where my next step will be. You know, I had you again, had you asked me a year and a half ago and had I stuck with that, mm-hmm. you know, the traditional, the path that I had started when I went to start a university, um, I would have probably been able to say, okay, yeah, my next step is this. My next step is to go, you know, work in this office in the, you know, Ministry of Foreign Affairs or move to one pl- someplace to be a, you know, assistant um, or deputy diplomat, you know, so, but, but now that I'm not in that framework, I think my next big step will probably get my, you know, MBA, my master's in business, which also had you asked me a year and a half ago, I would have <laughs> said like, hell no. Yeah, because <laughs> now that I've asked the question, I think I took it maybe just a little bit too far back because you have changed direction, but not, that's not right. Um You've maintained the same direction. You've just taken different routes. Yeah, yeah. And I think... All those little Google Map routes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in the end of the day, I'm doing the same thing I did when I was in university, which was stand in front of people and speak. You know, when I was in university, university I wasn't just speaking about Israel. I was also like the um, the honors college representative to the board of trustees. I had taken a lot of roles of kind of wow. speaking in general. I liked it. I really, I just, <laughs> give, give me a crowd or a microphone and I'm solid. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, so now I'm, I'm, I'm doing that in a different perspective, whether that's through writing, whether that's through interviews through my, with my work. And eventually, once I know the jargon and, and have all the words down pat in the history and understand the it. data, you know, I hopefully will be at conferences as well. Speaking about a totally entirely different topic, but it still ends up down to that same metrics of communication and the ability to have conversations with people. Um, and I think when you're speaking to a crowd, it's just a lot of different conversations because people will 
you know, if you can make your conversation with people kind of be a one-on-one conversation, even if there's 500 people in the room, but you've, you've hone in enough about on, on classical things that people care about, then you're having a conversation with each and every individual in the space. And I think that could translate into a lot of different arenas. Perfect. All right. Um, anything else you'd like to just say? Any events, programs, anything no, you've you got know, coming up? I, um, I don't I have nothing to pitch, <laughs> you know, that's okay. Other just, that's okay. You know, I, I just come people you'd like to thank you. First of all, I, I had no, really like I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And I walked up into these, into the stairs and I was like, Whoa, this is serious. And I texted a friend. I was like, Oh, this is, this is a real interview. <laughs> I had no idea. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, I just said, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, the, you know, the movie. Yes. Yes, man. Yes. Good movie. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, going back to the sales, I pitched it. So there you go. There you go. Um, all right. Um, thank you, Faye. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. For much. Me. Yeah. Of course. Anytime. Um, all right. That's it. Thank you. Toda va. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. ve yalla bye. I'm